0: The right habits put you in control of your health, relationships, mindset, and more. But most people lack the tools to stick with those habits long enough to see results. That is about to change. Welcome to the Unshakable Habits Podcast with your host, Habit Change Specialist and Speaker, Stephen Box. Join us each week as experts share their stories, experiences, and insights And give you the tools to build unshakable habits so you can live life on your terms. It's time to take your habits from unsustainable to unshakable.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Unshakable Habits podcast. I am your host, Stephen Box. And today I'm joined by the founder of Speaking CPR, Michael Davis. Michael, thanks for joining me today.
2: Great to be with you, Stephen. Always enjoy a- interacting with you.
1: You know, Michael, you have a bit of a unique story in the fact that you knew exactly what it was that you wanted, but your path to getting there wasn't quite what you expected.
2: No, it was not. Uh, I could not have anticipated how I got to where I ended up.
1: And and we're going to we're going to tell people all about that in a second. But before we do, I want to remind everyone out there listening about the unshakable framework that we want to look at as you hear these stories, because this framework is what's going to allow you to take Michael's story and apply it to your life so that you can create unshakable habits. The first thing we want to look at is what is the vision? Now there's goals, which are very specific outcomes, which we have very limited actual control over, which I think you'll find out for sure in Michael's story, why that's the case. Instead, we want a vision. We want to know what it is that we want our future self to actually look like. What, what kind of life is that? What kind of actions does that person take? Then we want to think about what skills do we need to develop or what skills do we already have that we need to utilize in order to achieve that vision? And then for those skills that need to be developed, what actions do we need to take on a regular basis to develop those skills? So as you listen to Michael's story today, look for those three parts, and that's what will help you apply his story to your life. So, Michael. Start us off where you had this goal of becoming the world champion of public speaking, but that wasn't really the goal, was it?
2: No, it wasn't. It all started in 2003. My dear friend and mentor and good buddy to this day, Darren LaCroix, who you interviewed on your last podcast, I know. Um, He called me up one day. I had asked him the year year before to be my mentor, which he agreed to do. He called me up and he said, hey, I'm I'm starting this new community. We got several of the world champion coaches together and we're going to coach people because we know how hard it is to become a a world-class speaker. Are you in? And I'm like, yeah, I'm in. So we talked a little further. I hung up the phone and I said, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be part of that. I want to be one of the coaches. Immediately, it piqued my interest. So I thought, all right, what do I need to do to be one of the coaches? What do they all have in common? They're world champion of public speaking. So there you go, I'm in. So immediately, I start competing. I'd done it before, but not with any kind of purpose or plan. Well, I'm going to win the world championship. That first year, I made it, won my district in Toastmasters, and I made it to the what was then called the regionals. Didn't do well there. However, pretty good for my first try. I've got this thing in the bag. Eh, two or three years from now, I'll I'll have that title. Five years later, I made it back to a regional, and I haven't smelled a regional since. <laughs> right? What to shorten this part of the of the journey, Stephen? What happened was I got so focused on that title to get to be, uh, to become one of the coaches. One of the things I didn't realize is I was picking up all these skills as I went along and I didn't even see it. One of the big reasons I wanted to be one of the coaches is I knew the fear, the intimidation, uh, the terror of speaking and failing, embarrassing, being humiliated which all went back to a childhood incident in front of a group. So I had learned how to manage that to a point. And I thought, well, that that's a good enough reason right there. <laughs> Just I'm going to go help people and I'm going to win the world championship. Well, that's not what life had in store for me.
1: It It's interesting because you, you talk about you got focused on this thing and you're developing all these skills and you weren't even aware that you're developing them Mm -hmm. and this is something i think happens pretty commonly with people where every person i've interviewed has had a similar experience in the fact that they were developing skills without being aware of it and Mm -hmm. in hindsight what a lot of them wish is that they could have been more intentional about developing those skills. They wish they had been able to sit down and think about the skills that they needed and they would have been more intentional about developing them.
2: Absolutely. That's a great time saver too. And that's why it's so important to work with mentors. Yeah. And keep in mind all along this journey, Darren was my main mentor and then eventually Craig Valentine, who I got certified under him. If you don't know Craig, your viewers don't know Craig Valentine, also a previous world champion, he started a certification course about 15 years ago, and I got certified in 2011. I kept doing all of this because my mentors were telling me to. And that was one of the first lessons, actually was the first lesson I got from Darren, is if somebody's going to agree to mentor you, coach you, if you argue with them, if you don't do it, they tell you, that's going to be a short-lived experience. You're, it's yeah. not going to be a long relationship. They don't have time for people who want to question them. And it's not because they're all knowing and all powerful. They've walked the path you want to walk. They've made all the mistakes. All they're trying to do is save you time. Yep. And that's what I was doing every time Darren or Craig or any of my other mentors said, take this course, buy this book, read this book, do this, do that. I did it. What I couldn't see was it was giving me all the skills and knowledge I needed. And I didn't need that title, but I stayed focused on that competition really seriously through 2015. And I made it, you know, like I said, I made it to two regionals. I always was fairly successful high up, but then I ran into a, a buzzsaw, meaning somebody who just was better that day. Now, in my area of Cincinnati, Ohio, we have, I have two of my friends in the last decade have made it to the finals. Uh, We've repeatedly had people go to the, the, what are now the semis. This is a great area for speakers, not just in Toastmasters, but great Toastmasters competitors. And most of the time, you're not going to win. We developed a close friendship in our group and we all support one another. We compete and, and the moment one of us was out, we would help the other. Another fantastic lesson on teamwork and, and just helping one another to get to a higher level. Well, around 2015 is when Darren asked me to become a volunteer at a lot of uh, stage time events, his, his online university. And he'd have these live events. And at the time, I was kind of bummed. I'm like, oh, wow, I think I've been doing this a long time. And here I'm volunteering, passing out papers. I couldn't quite see the gift he was giving me because every time he asked me to do something, which would be considered by some menial, what he was really doing was seeing if I was willing to do whatever it took. Yeah. And that's, and I did. In fact, the only time I really pushed back on him on a suggestion, Stephen, was in 2017, late in the year. He called me up one day and he said, well, we've been doing these online coaching, uh, weekly calls. And the guy who's been working with us, is not quite working out. I want you to host the weekly calls. And I said, Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> he said, you've never told me no before. What's that all about? I said, Well, Darren, here's the thing. It's not that I don't want to do it. It's just that I, don't, I know nothing about being online and hosting calls. I said, I'm not going to embarrass the university. That's it's going to be a disaster for you as any good mentor would do, he could see what I couldn't. He saw in me those skills. He said, he laid it out. He said, it's going to be rough at first, just like speaking, just like selling any skill. It's going to be tough. So reluctantly, I said, all right, I'll I'll do it. In the first night, it was an utter disaster. I mean, I couldn't do anything right. I didn't know how to bring people on. I didn't know how to put the audio, pull up video. It, It was just Awful. And I called him up and I was almost proud of the fact that I was right, that this would be a disaster. <laughs> so, I got him up and I said, I told you this was not going to be good. Told him the whole story. And he laughed at me. <laughs> he said, "Wow, well, that sounds pretty bad. Not as bad as my first time. You'll do better next week. Wow. Again, mentor sees something you can't is not going to let you quit or, box yourself in and say, no, I'm not going to do this. The next week, it was bad. But not as bad as the first week. And I just kept going and getting the experience, getting beaten up, watching the videos as they came out. Zoom wasn't quite as effective with their, their videos then as they are now. I've, I've, they've always been a great technology. Uh, but I just kept going over and over again. Now, what Darren and I could not have possibly known as he was preparing me for covid <laughs> because when it hit i had a lot i'd probably 300 online presentations hosting etc um all of that added to my skill set now i'm going beyond the point where i had the realization uh, that winning the world championship wasn't necessary but i wanted to share that because mentors continue to put you in situations if you will follow them yeah
1: And and I laugh when you brought up about hosting the call, because for for anyone who's not in Stage Time University, they don't know this. But you are the host for all Stage Time events, pretty much. So I I, I laugh because, you know, that's that's what you do now. And
0: people...
1: I think sometimes we'll look at somebody, especially somebody who's really good at something. And and you've obviously gotten really good at it.
2: I appreciate that.
1: And they think, oh, you know, I can never be as good as that person. It's
2: like, why not? He was a disaster the first couple times, right? <laughs> right? Like, if you could be as bad as I was, you can be as good as I am. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, right? All it takes is just go out there and fail like crazy. And that's that's what they did along the way, Darren and Craig and all the other coaches. What happened though along the way, Stephen, is like, and back in 2015, I finished second to a good friend of mine in a district competition. And I thought, you know, I would love to win, but it no longer became a burning desire because the purpose, I could see that I was making progress. I just didn't. I hadn't achieved the goal yet, but it was right after that realization that, look, this would be nice to win, but it's no longer an obsession, Yeah. is when I started to focus more on how do I become a world-class coach. i had gotten the certification, but i kind of dabbling in it. I was still a financial advisor at the time. It was in, in 2017 when the realization hit that my life was... <laughs> different than I had anticipated. And, and I was it gotten there in a different way. It was in the Las Vegas. We were doing the annual lady in the champ show. We had all the coaches and many of our members there. And I was the host, the MC. And I was also asked in a dual role to sit up on stage at, in one of the sessions with four of my coaching and speaking heroes, it was Ford Sakes, Patricia Fripp, both Hall of Fame speakers, and it was Ed Tate, Darren LaCroix, both world champions, very successful professionals, and me, <laughs> right? So there was this moment where I was sitting to the left of them. Lights are shining in our eyes so bright, you just I had to keep looking over because my eyes were burning. And I looked over and I saw the four of them, and I thought, Oh my God, I made it. I'm coaching with my coaches. This is what I had been dreaming about and planning for 14 years. And there wasn't a world championship trophy with my name on it anywhere in sight. (laughs) 14 years on this journey. And I was so blown away in the moment that I really wasn't focusing on what was going on for a couple of minutes, but I kind of came back to reality. We finished this really good session all working together. And I shared this with Darren afterwards, and he just said something very simply to me. You earned it. Yeah. That's the best praise you can get from your mentor. It, it just it was such a circuitous route to get there that I could never anticipate. The GPS of my life took me way off course, but I ended up where I wanted to be.
1: You know, something you said in there that, that really stood out to me too was this was not like a one year, two year, three year journey. This was a 14 year journey mm-hmm. for you. And you talked a lot about how along the way you failed multiple times. You talked about the fact that you had to do all these seemingly insignificant things for Darren. And I think so often when we're trying to achieve a vision or reach a specific goal, we can put our blinders on. And we get so focused on getting to the finish line and we want to get there as fast as we possibly can that we really miss the opportunities. We overlook those simple tasks and just how impactful they can be. We overlook the lessons that we get to learn along the way because we're so blinded by I have to get here. I have to get here. I have to get here.
2: Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely.
1: What do you think it was that allowed you to stick with it for so long, even as your vision was shifting,
2: Stephen? That's that's an excellent question. I think where it comes from is this: I now, I, I retired from financial planning three years ago, and I tell people that I was a financial planner. I was pretty good but I didn't have a burning passion for it. I believe this is my calling. The reason I tell you that to answer your question, I believe subconsciously all along, I knew it was my calling. I love speaking. I I don't know, 15 years before I retired from the financial planning world, I remember being on a phone one day, a phone call, and I looked over at my bookcase and there were like 52 books on there. 50 of them were about speaking, storytelling, and presenting. Two were about financial planning. Mm -hmm. That's a message. (laughs) I was just, I'm most obsessed with it. I just wanted to be one of those people that was influential, inspirational, and could help people past a fear that is inherent in all of us. Because I could see that the, the most, the people who made a difference were those who could communicate. And I had gone through the fear and the struggle and the falling down. I mean, the reason I got into Toastmasters in the first place in 1994 is I was sitting in my boss's office. I was part of my work as financial planner was to do retirement planning workshops. Well, I'm sitting in my boss's office one morning. He hands me a stack of papers, says, oh, go over these. This is interesting. And I started thumbing through and I said, oh, these are are the evaluations from my last workshop, aren't they? He's like, yeah, there's some pretty good reading in there. And there was. Does this guy ever stand still? Too much, too fast. I feel like I've been hit by a water hose or a fire hose. Um, It was just on and on. It was everything negative that could possibly be. And, And when it was over to close out our meeting, my boss said, look. One of the reasons we hired you is you said you could get new clients to these workshops. This is not acceptable. Fix this or else. Out of pure panic, I started making phone calls. And finally, one of my buddies said, why don't you try out this group called Toastmasters? Look, I'll try anything. So I went in thinking, I'll be here in 90 days, 120 days, whatever. And I'll fix this problem and I'll move on. Changed my life. Yeah. Didn't see it at the time. But again, that's another story of where I was going to fix a problem so I could be a better financial planner. Ended up giving, us really lighting a fire yeah. because of what I'm supposed to be doing. But I think that's the calling that each of us has if we're willing to listen to it. Yeah, I'm
1: glad you mentioned that too because that's one of the reasons why I really try to teach people mm-hmm. visions versus goals. Because with goals, it's so easy to put the blinders on. Mm -hmm. I have to get to that finish line. When you have a vision, visions allow you some flexibility. They allow you to get there in a different way. So for you, your original vision, you know, was just, okay, you know, I want to be successful or whatever, like anybody else. And so you naturally start kind of in in a logical place, which is with your current employment, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, Well. Here, I'm doing this. This is a part of my job I'm not very good at. Let me go out and try to improve that. And that was pretty goal oriented. But because you had a bigger vision from what you wanted your life to look like, you were able to see the opportunities as they came up. Now, maybe you didn't have complete insight into what they were going to lead to. But you were able to see that they were opportunities, you were able to see the the potential to grow within those opportunities. And that's mm-hmm. That's a huge mindset shift that we really have to take if we want to open ourselves up.
2: Excellent point. We cannot if we want to succeed in life, we cannot make our decisions based on past experiences completely because opportunities by their nature are things we've never done before. I've got one of those right now. I had a talk yesterday with someone who I connected with on LinkedIn. He's got a global program. He wants somebody to be a pre- put together a thirty five minute video presentation about presentation skills and storytelling. I don't know this guy that well. I've done some research, but I'm going to do it because the worst thing that will happen is I'll put together a thirty five minute video. I'll get my name out there somewhere, and it's still my information. I really don't have anything to lose. There's no money I have to put in up front. It could be a scam. I don't know. It doesn't appear to be. I've done enough research. Worst thing I do is I reinforce what I know and what I teach others and it could lead to who knows what. Yeah.
1: It's one of those things too, where, you know, you talk about putting in the work and just, kind of seeing where things go. And I think so often people want to know that the work they're going to put in guarantees them some level of success. And the reality is that's just not the way that it really happens.
2: No, the older I've gotten and I'm 58 now, I realized several years ago that the most successful people on the planet just kept taking action. And I actually heard a a podcast the other day with the, Former President Obama, and he said, "You know, one of the things I realized that the people I liked the most, the, the highly successful people, were ones who admitted there was a fair amount of luck involved."
0: Yeah,
2: and I believe that too. Now, I I think you can create uh, increase the chances of having good luck by putting in that effort yeah. and being focused and getting guidance, uh, but. Yeah. You just got to keep taking action. And I know that is a cliche at this point, but just I've noticed the most successful people just were persistent. They had that calling in them and said, look, um, I'm going to either die doing this or succeed. Yeah, And that's what I felt about speaking and coaching is, well, I may drop dead in the process, but I'm just going to keep doing it. And that is a huge mind shift, my mindset shift. You need to have. I know you. You've done terrific work with people when it comes to their health and losing weight through your own example. I know you and I have talked about that. Uh, if when the day you decide I'm going to lose this weight, not just so I look better, but this so I feel better, I can live longer, live the life I want, and you say I'm going to do that or die. <laughs> I'm not going to die from overeating. I'm not going to yeah. die from lack of exercise. That's a huge shift and that's what you need. The most successful people have that.
1: Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where you know you, you talk about luck. And luck is definitely always going to be a component of success. But I remember when I used to work in retail management, I had a quote it just came to me one day. I don't I don't remember if it was inspired by something or whatever. I just remember it sticking out to me, and I put it on a little sticky pad, and I had it right in the top right-hand corner of our cash register screen. Okay. And it said, luck is what happens when opportunity meets persistence. Mm-hmm. And it was a reminder from my staff that if you do the little things right – Every single time when an opportunity comes up,
2: you get lucky. Yeah. And, and people and I think, going, I was going to say, people will tell you that. Oh, you're so lucky.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and it's like, it, 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 it's somewhat of a demeaning thing, right? When people say, oh, you're so lucky, because it it suggests that you didn't actually put in the work to get there. And the reality is luck doesn't happen to people who don't put in the effort.
2: This is true. It's that's the lack mentality. And I had that for years. Uh, But, you know, our our friend Darren, he tells a story of after he won the world championship. Now, he had gone through nine years or seven years of comedy clubs and failures and getting beat up and getting evaluated, and going, uh, you know, not going out Friday and Saturday night, but staying home and doing speeches and giving speeches and reviewing videos. All right. All that happens. He goes up to a coworker after winning the world championship. And she says to him, you're so lucky. Mm -hmm. That's how most people view it. Mm -hmm. Look, we're outliers here. And if you're watching this, you're an outlier. Meaning most people will not even take the time to watch a video like this to say, how can I get better? Yeah. It interferes with their, I don't know, Facebook time or whatever. Yeah, Just the fact that you're listening to two guys here says that you're in a small percentage of people who are willing to do something to improve and you should get kudos for that. Absolutely.
1: And, and really what it comes down to is, is sometimes it's not the entire thing that necessarily... Sticks with you when when you when you're listening to a a longer conversation like this,
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
1: it's those one or two nuggets that stand out for you. And, And those nuggets will be different for each person. But in almost every conversation that you listen in on, there will always be at least one or two nuggets that either reinforce something that you already know, but maybe you've forgotten or that you're having doubts about. Or that it gives you a new insight to something, and yeah. people who take the time to to actually go find
2: those nuggets, they're
1: the ones who get lucky.
2: That's true, and, for, and you know people not on
1: audio <laughs> <I> idea <there laughs> quotes around that?
2: <laughs> What's interesting about that, Stephen, is you you're the host. You have guests, me and Darren and, and um, Alan, and you're going to have many others. It doesn't matter which one of us that nugget comes from. I was sharing, I was speaking with a group last night and I was sharing this. I said, one of the things about presenting online or even in person is uh, Ed Tate often says this, former world champion, very successful professional, that the answer is always in the room. Meaning, we're hired as speakers to come in and give our perspective, our expertise. However, the people in front of us know their industry company better than we ever will. And if we will make this a collaborative effort as speakers, we, uh, they'll come up with answers for themselves better than we can. Yeah. Here's what's interesting though. Three years later, you'll probably get credit as the speaker because they'll say, they'll remember you the one as being on stage. It doesn't matter right. if you're there for the right reasons yep. that is to help your audience. I mean, I've seen this in the, in the professional speaking world since the lockdown 15 months ago, highly successful speakers who've left the business, because they couldn't deal with looking at a camera. To me, those people were in speaking for the wrong reason. It was about them. They confused yeah. the medium with the message. And yeah. to go back to your point about the nuggets, do you really care if you got it on a podcast, a, a, a StreamYard video cast, a book, a TV show, or a speaker who stood in front of you? Nope. No, you don't. And that's where, as I, I tell speakers all the time, you have to e- have an ego to do this. However, on the flip side, you also have to realize that ultimately they don't care where they got the information. And if you weren't there speaking, somebody else would be. <laughs> so you have to balance it all the time. Yep.
1: Yeah, it's, it's one of those things, too, where kind of going back to your story that I think people miss, you know. One common theme I've seen, and most of the guests I've interviewed, and I've already filmed probably eight or nine of these so far. Mm-hmm. And every single one of my guests have had one thing in common. they had a support system, whether that was someone that they actually went out and hired, whether it was just like family, friends, whatever the case was, they had a support system system in place. And you talked about that earlier, where you had to go to Darren and say, hey, I would like for you to be my mentor. Now, people might think about that, and they might say, okay, cool, you asked Darren to be your mentor. But I don't know if people necessarily stop and think about what that was really like. And I know this is something you teach with your speaking CPR, with, because you help people tell better stories and you like, hey, you have to take people into your head in that moment. Right. So for you, what was that moment like of going to this person who was a world champion of public speaking, someone you looked up to and actually saying like, hey, would you mentor me?
2: I'm laughing because I thought I was fairly cocky, I guess, at the time, because this was in 2002. Uh, I had helped Darren and a previous world champion, David Brooks, set up a big meeting here in town. Uh, I intuitively knew that if I could get to know these guys better, then that would help me along my journey of speaking. That World championship wasn't really in mind at the time. So I met Darren, actually had lunch with him, got along great. So well, i give it a week. I. I Called him a week later and I thought hey, I'd like this guy to help me. And I said, Hey, would you be willing to be my mentor? Maybe. I thought, Maybe. That's kind of arrogant. Here you know, I am a willing student, I'm a big fan. And that's all you tell me is maybe. All that's going through my head. And I said, well, What do you mean, maybe? He said, Well, there's this book I want you to buy and read. And then we'll, I'll think about it. All right. What is it? He said, it's called Stand Up comedy. The book. My first thought was, I don't want to be a comedian. I don't want to read that book. But before I answered him, I remembered a story he had told in the keynote I had just heard. It was a story of him and he, uh, his uh, mentor Vinny standing in the back of a comedy club in Darren's early comedy days And Vinny was an established comedian at the time. And Vinny and Darren were talking at the back of this club. And Vinny said, you know, Darren, I've I've noticed you're really putting in the work. You're really hard. You got a great work ethic. You're willing to go anywhere. He said, anytime I'm a headliner, I will give you five minutes of stage time. But if you ever turn me down, I will never help you again. That story ran through my mind. Right before I told him I didn't want to read a book about comedy, I said, okay, I'll read it. Ended the conversation. About 10 days later, I called him back, a little chit-chat, and I said, all right, what do I do next? What do you mean, what do you do next? I said, what do I do next? I bought the book and read it. You did? I said, yeah, you told me to read the damn book. He said, Michael, nobody's ever read the book. Only one other person's ever bought it. I guess I'm stuck with you now. I said, You better believe it. I said, I'm not trying to be a comedian. He said, You got to understand why I had you do that. I needed to see how serious you are. Clearly, you're serious. <laughs> Stephen, if I hadn't read that book or bought it, we wouldn't be having this conversation. I mean, that's what it means to have a mentor. They're going to test you, not to be jerks, but they want to know how serious you are. They're successful. They don't have time to waste on window shoppers. That's why I said earlier, if you're watching this, you're not a window shopper. You're willing to sit here, and I don't know how long this final version will be of 40 minutes, an hour, to listen to this, to what you said before. I thought brilliantly. We sit through a lot of 45 minute to an hour long presentations for one or two nuggets. Mm -hmm. That's dedication. That means you want to get better.
1: And the amazing thing is those one or two nuggets have the ability to completely change your life. I mean, think about it. You were just talking about how, You weren't nervous about asking Darren to be your mentor. You actually were maybe a little overly confident about it.
0: I
2: was overly confident. I thought, I'm I'm a willing student. Come on, who who wouldn't want to help me? I mean, that kind of attitude. And boy, he put me in my place right away.
1: (laughs) Well, Well, here's the funny thing that stuck out to me. So if you think about a person who is overconfident, what is that person likely to do when someone says, hey, I want you to read a book on comedy and you have no interest in being a comedian? An overconfident person's first instinct is going to be exactly what your first instinct was. I want to be a comedian. Why would I read this book? But because you sat through that presentation, you heard that story, you got that one nugget of information. That was enough to get you to pause, recognize what was happening, and you got the book and you read it. Exactly. Had you not done that, you wouldn't. So if you hadn't gone to that presentation, if you hadn't got that nugget, you wouldn't have had that opportunity or you would have blown it. And then we wouldn't be having this conversation.
2: Exactly. And I think a lot of times I hear speakers talk about, well, I want to change lives and make major change. I don't believe for the most part, we make major changes in people's lives. However, We do give them nuggets that can change, that can grow into a major change. That alone will not do it. Me hearing that story alone wasn't, isn't the reason I'm here. It was the starting point and it got me not to read a book. I mean, it still sits on my shelf as a reminder. haven't read it since. It serves as a reminder though, that one action leads to another leads to another, leads to another. And that's where that's when the GPS in my life truly took over down this new route. Yeah.
1: And and it's also interesting because one of the things that I always talk about with unshakable habits is there are things that you do consistently. They're not things you do sometimes. They're not things that you do when you feel like it. They're not things you do when you have a slow week at work. There are things that you do consistently. Mm -hmm. And for you, yes, it started presentation, the story, the book, all those things were were part of it, then it had to continue. Every time Darren asked you to, hey, pass out these papers, or hey, enter this contest, or hey, make these changes to your speech, you had to listen to what was being told. You had to do it. Those were your repeated actions. Those repeated actions are ultimately what got you to where you are. It wasn't, yeah, there was the catalyst there, But those things in the beginning, individually, none of those ultimately got you where you were. It was, they were the starting points. And then it was your repeated actions that were consistent after that. They helped you get where you are.
2: Yeah, actions. And I love that you're helping people with mindset. Interesting. I mentioned a speech I did last night. It was a 20 minute practice, actually, for a live stream that I'm going to be doing soon it was in front of a a group of professionals who are, it is a Toastmasters group, but these are professional speakers. And Stephen, I'll tell you, it it may be the best meeting where I've gotten feedback in my 27 years of Toastmasters. Now I'm 27 years into it. I got, I mean, literally the, the list is right here, 10 ways to improve that were spot on. It wasn't a lot of the platitudes you often get in meetings like that. Hey, great job. No, it wasn't great. (laughs) They gave me specifics, but I was thinking in the middle of the feedback, wow, what a change. I used to fight and resist this because it might hurt my ego or uh, I got more work to do. And I was eager. That's a mindset shift that my coaches, Darren in particular, I'm looking for one of his props. You are what you, re- uh, you reap, what you soak. That's from Darren LaCroix. What am I sponging? If you are not willing to sponge positive, constructive feedback on how to get better, you're not going to. Yeah. I fought that for years. I mean, on the surface, I would say, yes, I'm willing to get feedback, but uh, inside it was killing my self esteem. It took me a long time to have the self confidence and self worth to say, okay. This isn't about me. It's about my speech and my message that took a long time, but that was a mindset shift. So the action plus the mindset shift together makes you pretty unstoppable. I think.
1: Yeah. One of my mentors actually shared something similar. And he was talking about developing your communication skills. Mm -hmm. And he said, the thing is as Good communicators, we actually carry an extra burden because it is our job, regardless of how people communicate with us, to dig out the good in it. Mm -hmm. It is also our job to make sure that what we put out into the world is positive and clear. And that just that stuck with me, and when you said it, that just immediately came to my mind because so often when we do get feedback from people, we might have that tendency to let our ego kind of kick in a little bit. And we do that because maybe that person isn't skilled at giving feedback. Right. And you, you absolutely have to take the emotion out of feedback. Like you just, you have to be able to take it and give yourself an honest reflection and say, is this really something I need to work on? And I know that this, that for me, that was a tough thing to do. It sounds like it was a tough thing for you to do in the beginning.
2: So well, especially
1: struggling, they're not alone.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you're not, you haven't succeeded. I don't care if it's weight loss, better health, better communication. If you haven't reached a certain level of success, you're going to doubt yourself you're going to think that every piece of advice you get is something you should incorporate. I know this because early on, and in my experience from the 2003 when I um, had my first contest success, I won my district, and then I had to prepare a second speech for the regional. Looking back, Stephen, I was so insecure and lacked confidence on such a great level. I took every single piece of advice that was given to me, and in, in the middle of that speech in Toronto, Canada, in front of 450 people, I get halfway through my speech. Nothing. I mean, I don't know. I never watched the video. This is, what, 18 years ago. I blanked. Every version of that speech I had rehearsed and practiced came to me all at once, and I didn't know what my next line was. I just started walking the stage and turning it into an impromptu speech. I just really did. It was, it was over. My dream was dead for that year. It was one of the worst moments and one of the best because it took me about 48 hours to realize what happened. It was insight into my behavior and, and and taking all that feedback and also into myself Say, look, you've got to trust yourself. You've got a message. Some people are not going to like it, but you can't take on all the advice. You've got to filter it and know what works for you and what works for others, but not for you. Yeah. That's an evolution. You can't shortcut that process. Going back to what you said earlier, we all would love to have the success in a hurry. Yeah. But it's what we learn along the way that is the real gift. And that yeah. builds strength, strength of character, strength, the, you know, keeps the ego in check. All of that just part of the process. And you can't shortcut that. I think that's why you see so many people who have short term success. I'll use, um, American Idol or these, these singing shows. Mm-hmm. People get famous all of a sudden, but they haven't gone through that hard those hard knocks. Yeah. That's why you you don't see them five years later. Right. You know, I, I grew up in a generation of of uh, what's now called classic rock from the 70s and 80s. And I've heard these bands interviewed, they would tour for three, four, five, ten years. Mm-hmm. Sometimes in, in bands that were this close to breaking down. Yeah. But they would go from show to show to show and they built their skills and their muscles. And that's why those bands became hall of fame bands. Yep. Not for the gold records and platinum records, but because of all the crap they had to go through to build that strength, the character to say, we're going to keep
0: going. Yep.
1: Yeah. It's, you know, and you talk about, you know, filtering out the feedback and, and kind of filtering out what works for you. And I do want to point out that the only way for you to learn how to filter out stuff is that, unfortunately, sometimes you do have to just take it all, right? You do have to actually just try all the stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you have to say, okay, when I do this, it doesn't feel right. Right. Or, you know what? This feels really great. And that's what starts to inform you of your your true things that you should be doing. You know, you're internally, you will know what's right for you and what's not. But we have to fight that initial reflex of going, that's uncomfortable because there's a difference between this doesn't feel right because it's uncomfortable. And this doesn't feel right because it doesn't align with my values. Right. There's a difference between those two things.
2: It's like I have a 25-year-old son, a 17-year-old stepson, and it's interesting to watch them as they start to navigate new areas of life. They're very smart kids, but they don't have the wisdom of experience. And it's interesting to watch how they'll try things or they have this false confidence, which is great. I had the same thing. I was far worse than them at that age. It's the same with your, you're starting uh, a speaking career or you're going to, I'm going to get my health improve my health. You have this certain perspective because you haven't done it before. Um, and everything's going to sound like, oh, that's great. I'm going to try that. And, and eventually you start to, uh, uh, our friend, Kevin Burke talks about in, uh, comedy or humorous speaking that if you do it too much, you start to wear the edges off the humor and it's not as sharp. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to take the contrast of that and say, sometimes you need to wear away those rough edges of uh, experience of, of this journey so that, you know, I'm not going to try that new diet fad. Because I did that one, and it's similar, and it was just a joke, <laughs> or I'm not going to try to deliver my speech in a certain way just because it worked for Joe or Sally. That's not me. Yeah, I had to learn that as a coach. I learned this process from from Craig Valentine and some of the other coaches I've had. And for a long time, I would treat an extrovert. Maybe a person with an acting background. I would coach that person the same way as I would the introverted accountant. Yeah, can't do that. But you got to learn that. That's the you can't shortcut your way through this. You've got to have those experiences to teach you. Yep. It's
1: funny because, and, and I and I'm sure you'll agree with this comment. One thing that we all think when we go out and we get a coach or we get a mentor or whatever is well this person's going to help me not make the mistakes and they're going to just tell me what to do so i can be successful and a really great coach or a really great mentor doesn't try to help you not make mistakes they help you make the mistakes that you can learn the most from
2: yeah that's that's terrific insight. Yeah. In fact, I encourage them. I tell my clients, go make mistakes. Speaking is a full contact sport. You've got to get in front of the camera. you got to get in front of people and you got to go screw up. Yeah. Well, I teach people the virtual presenting skills today, Stephen. I mean, very I appreciate the comments from earlier about my skills in front of the camera, which have gotten much better. But I make a mistake every single time I'm in a session. It doesn't fail. I learn from it, hopefully. I try not to make the same ones. But with all these changes in the evolution of technology, just do the best you can, but learn from it. And that's what I'm telling my speakers, whether they're live or virtual, is just go do it. You can only talk to your dogs. You can only talk to the walls in your room so much. And then when the, when the pressure's on, go see how, and we do better than we think we're going to anyway.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and it's funny because one thing that I remember sharing with some people in my Toastmasters club, they were newer members, but they've been around maybe, you know, six months or so. And we were, trying to get a mentorship program started in our club. So I went to to them and I said, look, you've been here for a little while. You know, are you willing to help be one of the mentors for new members coming in? And of course every person, no, 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 no. I could never do that. That's, you know, I'm not, I've only been here six months. How can I be a mentor? Because you only need to know more than the person that you're mentoring. You don't need to know everything. You don't need to be perfect. You just need to know more than the person that you're teaching. That's it.
2: That's exactly right. I've heard yeah. teachers who put together curriculums that way. As long as I stay one week ahead of them, I'm good. Okay. But you know, yeah. we do have this false belief of success. And I think TV and movies perpetuate it. Bill Gates, for example, or, or Steve Jobs. You know, Pick some of the classics. You know, Oprah Winfrey. Oh, well, and Oprah didn't have the best start and jobs came from lower middle class. Um, we think they had this great shining moment where it all came together and it's just been a, cl- a smooth ride ever since. Nope. Nobody's successful. has had that kind of ride. And I talked to my, you've seen us coach a lot on this, Stephen, but talk to my clients about this. This is why we need to hear stories of your failure. Yep. I don't believe the person who stands up and tells me, and I've seen this in real estate meetings, especially, uh, let, let me show you my three houses on, on the beach, on one on each coast. And oh my gosh, look at my wife. She's stunning, isn't she? And my three kids and my two dogs and my four and a half cars. And don't you want this kind of life? Mm-hmm. Now, that person may have that, which I'm seriously doubtful of. Um, <laughs> but if they do... They didn't wake up one day with a golden touch. They had to struggle and fail and probably go bankrupt. I mean, all kinds of things have. That's what we want to hear because now we relate to you. Yep. So I tell people it literally took me 14 years to achieve a goal, and I didn't do it the way I thought. If I had taken on a mentor, maybe asked better questions of Darren early on, I would have gotten there faster. We'll never know. Yeah.
1: Yep. I, I think that learning to ask good questions is probably one of the most underrated skills that anybody can develop. It is, it is a game changer. It I, is. I, I remember doing a call with one of my people I looked up to in the fitness industry. I, I won this 30 minute call mm-hmm. and I'd get on, I'd do this call and afterwards I got off and I realized I didn't get anything out of it at all. And it wasn't because the person wasn't willing to help me or that they were giving me bad advice. It said, I was asking the wrong questions. Yeah. I wasn't asking all the right questions that I, this person really needed to be able to help me with what I needed. And looking back at it, they did a great job of helping me with the questions that I asked. It mm-hmm. was just the wrong questions. Wrong
2: questions. Yeah, and that's another art form. You have to practice those over and over again.
1: Yeah. But again, I made that mistake. I learned from it. I got an opportunity to do another call with that same person two years later. And the growth that came out of that second conversation was phenomenal. Yeah. And I never had the experience of the first call. The second call wouldn't have been as productive.
2: Right. We need co- our failures. Give us context that we need. Yeah. That's how we improve. Absolutely. Well, Michael,
1: I appreciate your, your time today. Appreciate you coming on. If you would, before you tell people how to get a hold of you, if you were to wrap this entire thing into one sentence in terms of what people should do if they want to create habits in their life.
2: Listen to that voice that tells you what you should be doing, and then you just create those habits. Just make it part of your everyday existence. And keep in mind the long game don't get so focused on the what or the how, focus on the what, and that'll help you develop those habits.
1: Love it. Love it. So tell us how we can get a hold of you.
2: You you can reach me at Mike at Speaking CPR, which you can clearly see underneath my name, and you're going to post that. Thank you. And then I've got several complimentary reports, tips that you can get. Just set up a phone call with me or send me a text, whatever you want to, to contact me. I'll give you the reports. I get storytelling reports, virtual uh, presentation skills. Uh, I'll get those over to you. You can also go to speakingcpr.com, which is my website. Uh, Those reports are available there, different courses. And if you'd like to just set up a 30 minute call with me, happy to do that with you too. We can talk about your presentation skills. Happy to help. Uh, Just as Stephen has pointed out, just have specific questions and we'll go from there.
1: And, And I will just say that, you know, I've done calls with you. I've been on coaching calls and stage time with you. Michael is very good at asking you those right questions too. So he'll, he'll kind of pull some of the information out of you if you're not quite there with your abilities just yet. And I will just say that if you do reach out to him and he tells you to go buy a comedy book, you should probably go buy it (laughs) and read it
2: and read it nice nice way to close it out
1: (laughs) appreciate everyone for tuning into this episode of the unshakable habit habits podcast and thanks to our guest michael davis for joining us today i will see you back next week with another episode and in the meantime just remember that
0: yes you can be unshakable Thanks for listening to the Unshakable Habits podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest, please subscribe at unshakablehabits.com slash YouTube or on your favorite podcast app. You can learn more about Unshakable Habits at unshakablehabits.com. Until next week, be unshakable, my friends.